turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. It's earnings season. Google is spending a lot more money to make more money. It's a little bit of a problem. But it was a good quarter. They're still um, pretty dominant at what they do. Mark Zuckerberg, speaking of dominant, he may be an evil, evil, like a bad guy, a villain, right? A lot of people are very, very, very hot-buttoned by him. He posted a blog post yesterday celebrating Facebook's 15th anniversary. And Zuckerberg's rhetoric is starting to... He's getting very defensive. Critics have honed in on an element of Zuckerberg's rhetoric that they argue misleads, conflates Facebook with the internet. Dun, dun, dun. Zuckerberg seemed to juxtapose social networks with institutions like government. So he's angering people is what I'm trying to get at. And he's not taking any responsibility for the bad stuff that his social network can create. Um, and he's kind of throwing him in there from government to business to media to communities and more. There's a tendency of some people to limit change. Um, so he's trying to say we're not all that evil. He's not taking it's it's an odd way by turning the focus away from Facebook to the Internet. You're trying to say like, hey, we're awesome at what we do. What the Internet does have some problems. But what you're doing is dealing with it through the internet. People want to criticize Facebook. Um, and he wants them to criticize the internet for what's bad out there. So there's been a couple bad things that have happened through some of Facebook's technologies. It's been used as a tool for oppressive governments. Uh, Facebook acknowledged having been used in the persecution of the Rohingya ethnic group in Myanmar. And uh, it's a way of rallying people. So and if you're posting news of like, let's go get those people and teach them a lesson, how responsible is the company that's publishing it versus the person who's writing it? So reshaping technologies or reshaping societies, it's, it's important. But again, uh, he doesn't come across as very, I don't want to use the word genuine, I'm going to use the word likable when he talks about his company at this point in time. Big State of the Union address tonight, and Republicans are fearful that Trump's going to use the State of the Union to declare a national emergency over the wall. I think he'll promote how great the economy is, but he's going to go after drug companies for price gouging. He's going to talk maybe about an infrastructure plan. You're fired. You're fired. Maybe there's some possibility to work with the Democrats and kind of bridge the aisle, so to speak. If you say, let's, you know, put money to work 
and uh, fix some projects like roads and bridges. Republicans tend to say, let's give big companies tax breaks that will be incentivized to do this for, for us. Democrats say, let's give money straight to the people and the projects. I think that's the way to sum that up. Um, so those are some of the stories that are out there today. Uh, Disney's going to report later this week. And that's a conference call I'm looking for. I'll be honest with you, I was a little underwhelmed with the uh, Google call yesterday, but I, at least I don't come in here and tell you differently. So I've got tickets for you. Speaking of Disney, uh, call the show at 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I'm giving away passes all week for Disney on Ice. They're playing in two different locations, one in San Jose and one in Oakland. Disney on Ice. Dare to dream. SAP Center uh, in San Jose is going to be between February 20th and 24th. So it's you don't have enough time to have Valentine's fall in love and have kids, but maybe you did a couple years ago and your kids want to go see Disney princesses. Um, February 20th to 24th at San Jose SAP Center. Free passes for you. Or February 27th through March 3rd at Oracle Arena. Don't pay for parking. Go, to, go via BART. <laughs> That's an expensive parking lot. Isn't it amazing? Parking lots have turn from $5. I don't want to pay $5 to park here all day to now you're paying sometimes 50 bucks for 45 minutes. Uh, anyway, 800-516-1220 to win those tickets. 800-516-1220 to win those tickets. They're yours. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 800-516-1220 and we'll mail them out to you as soon as we can. Super Bowl ratings were incredibly low. Um, no big deal yet. Cost of a 30-second ad spot during the big game, it increased again. Super Bowl ad spots are the most expensive on commercial TV. That 30-second slot on CBS cost roughly $5.25 million. Last year was 5.2, so they added the 0.5 this time, 5.25. Yeah, but the ratings, not good. Ratings have fallen in the fourth for the fourth year in a row for the Super Bowl. And some people think it's it's big event sports aren't keeping us as entertained as previous years. So last year, 103.5 million watched the Super Bowl. Back in 2016, 111 million. 2015, 114 million. So big drop, big drop um, down to about 97.5 million people. Are you going to still pay 5.255 million dollars for a Super Bowl commercial? If they can't deliver the people. Now again, maybe they're on some other devices too, right? It's always out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Uh, as I go through the years and I get older and wiser and hopefully uh, better at what I do, uh, I try to share with you things that I'm still learning or things that I find interesting. Um, there are some things out there. Uh, and I try to share as best as I can. If you study millionaires, and there's so many millionaires, it used to be a kind of a thing, you know, a status symbol to be a millionaire. Now there's so many millionaires. A woman who studied 600 million and discovered where you live has a huge ability on your wealth and your potential wealth. Your neighborhood plays a huge role in how much you save and spend. If you live in a pricey home and in a fluent neighborhood, you're more likely to mirror your neighbor's consumption habits. 
It can impact your ability to accumulate wealth over time as it can the home's price. Most millionaires live in a home they can easily afford, which allows them to save more money. I know people that are spending way too much of their salary on their rent. So I told the story the other day, and it, it, it's upsetting to people that I know people <laughs> that spend $6,000 a month on rent. So you do the math on that real quick, right? And this is after-tax money, right? What's that? $72,000 a year. That's $720,000 over 10 years. That's $1.4 million in 20 years. Whoa. Which is how long they've been, that's how long they've been renters. Not always at $6,000. But one of the areas where you can become wealthier is live below your means. And, you know, getting a second home or a vacation property, your spending goes way up. You're heating not one home, but two homes. You're cooling not one home, but two homes. Where you live and how you live, and like my neighbor, he's got a Mercedes, and he he, he waxes it basically every week. And I'm like, <laughs> he's pretty proud of that Mercedes. I don't want it. I'm fine with my dingy old truck. Uh, I don't have to have what he has. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. If you want to win those tickets, if you haven't already, call now. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. One of the easiest lessons to learn in business is competition can lower prices. Sometimes competition can make a service better and sometimes a competition... Competition can put businesses out of line. Like Walmart's put a lot of small and mom and pops out of line. Now Amazon's starting to do kind of the similar thing to others, right? One area that I'm kind of excited about competition is, and I I think we never want to see the death of competition. Um, One of the areas I want to see more competition is the airlines. And seeing Southwest announce flights into Hawaii starting probably mid-March, that should lower prices. It should. Uh, there's not, not a lot of routes into uh, Hawaii, and people have to pay a premium for it. So that's out there. Speaking of being out there, CFP Chad Burton, let's talk about people who are self-employed. I know it's an issue. What do I need to know about it? Well, a lot of people are thinking about what they're going to do for last year if they're self-employed, especially if they're you know maybe the first time they've got a profit and they're trying to figure out some tax savings and so they're trying to choose between plans and and for those people out there that are self-employed you know they're individual workers and they've been funding a SEP IRA it's often not the best way to continue to fund your retirement um, why is that well first of all the 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 only time it really can be the best option is if you're trying to figure out something to do for the year before before you file your taxes so if people are looking at their 2018 income, they're self-employed, and they're trying to get a deduction for last year, the only thing they can do is a SEP IRA um, to do you know, a 20 to 25% profit share of their net business income or their compensation if they incorporate it, and they can get money in for last year. Okay. But going forward, it's almost never the best plan. I mean, huh. very rarely is it the best plan when you're actually planning for retirement and looking ahead instead of looking retroactively. Interesting stuff, the way that plays out, and uh, it's so much that's inside your head. What's typically a better option than the SEP IRA? 
Well, the individual 401k is something that's almost yeah. always better. Um, okay. So especially if you're making under, say, the you know, around 220 is when it becomes a no-brainer. If your net business income, after all your expenses, is under 220000 the individual 401k is going to let you get more money in. It, hands down. It's, it's like a SEP contribution, plus you can defer more money. So it's the SEP contribution, plus the ability to defer 19000 if you're under 50 year. If you're going to be 50 year older, it's 25000 now. On top of that, there's still federal limits of 56 and 62000 that can go in. But individual 401k almost always gets you more money. And if you're making a lot of money and you're making too much to fund a Roth IRA, this, you can roll all your old step IRAs and your old IRAs into your individual 401k, and you can then start doing the backdoor Roth contribution strategy and do that tax-free where you're still able to fund a Roth even if you make too much. But if you have a SEP IRA, that conversion strategy is not tax-free. So a SEP limits your other Roth IRA options on top of that. Speaking with CFP, Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of really good downloadables there that you can learn about money and investing and retirement and wealth. Um, What are some of the pitfalls on individual 401ks? Because they seem pretty good. Sounds good. Oh, they're they're great. The the only issue with the individual 401k is that, number one, once the plan has over $250,000 in it, so let's say you start one and then you roll all your IRAs into it, if that plan has over $250,000 in it, you have to file a 5500 tax return for that retirement plan. And it's not really that complicated of a return for for what uh, you get into the plan. And if you want to pay somebody to do it, it might be 500 bucks a year at extra cost. Um, but a lot of people will set one of these up, and they'll add, and they'll add, and they'll add, and they'll get to above that limit, and they didn't realize they were supposed to do that tax return. Um, they're free to set up the, the individual 401ks at most brokerage firms. But you have to file that tax over 250000 And the other thing that I see people do, there's a lot of people, Rob, that are incorporating now as a result of the tax cut, where you take a self-employed person that uh, they'll, they'll, they'll incorporate, they'll do an S-corp situation where they sum as wages and sum as a distribution. And if they do that without altering their payroll and funding their 401k portion of that individual 401k on an ongoing basis, they can end up messing their ability to save pre-tax. So if you're going to incorporate this year, you need to also add payroll uh, service so that you can get money into the 401k portion before the end of the year, and then the profit-sharing portion comes afterwards. Um, So a little bit more complicated when you incorporate, but still way more tax savings. People could get a copy of your podcast that you do Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, here on KDOWM 1220 by going to newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com, or they can listen live at 6 a.m. Um, but the podcast is a great option for those who want to sleep in a little bit. The Mega Roth. I love the name Mega Anything. Is Mega Roth as cool as uh, like it should be? It is, because it's mega tax-free, right? And so it gives the ability. Thank it, you. This is even for people that are making way over the amount of that I talked about, way over 220 they could do a defined benefit plan with a individual 401k, and essentially, Rob, they can get in 20, 30, 40, sometimes, in some cases, $50,000 going into a Roth side of their 401k if they set things up right when they're self-employed. So huge opportunities for the mega Roth for people that are making a lot of money self-employed and really, really focused on saving. Anything else that we need to know, Mr. Burton? 
No, but I, I think it's just the the point that the SEP IRA is just rarely the better option. I mean, especially if you're making a lot of money. If you can imagine going from, oh, I can only do 25% of my pay into a SEP to sometimes two times that much with a defined benefit plan plus a 401k where you're getting 30, 40 into a year growing into the Roth side of that 401k plan, tax-free for yeah. the rest of your life. That's huge. Can I call someone like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade and say, I'm self-employed, this guy Chad Burton just freaked me out, what are some good ideas for me? Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're, only, you know, if you're saving under that $50,000 limit, the individual 401k will get you there. But if you're self-employed and you're trying to save more than that and do these mega Roth options and things like that, you've got to have a third-party administrator design a plan that's right for you. So it might cost you, you know, 1500 to $2,500 in the first year to design the plan. Okay. But then it's pretty cheap going forward, and it allows you to get a lot of money in tax-deferred with big tax deductions and then tax-free if it's growing in the Roth of the side of the 401k. So let's say I was self-employed, because, again, that's a pretty big trend so that big companies don't have to pay taxes on healthcare and stuff like that, right? Let's say I'm self-employed. Um, is it easy for me to figure this out, or is there a company that will do it for me, or is it what a financial planner does? And we've got about 30 seconds. Um, well, typically a good CPA will, will know this, but I've run into a lot of CPAs that aren't aware of the, the mega options. Um, but right. most good CPAs that I'm, I, I talk to will say, yeah, there could be a better option than the SEP for you. Um, but you always yeah. have to have a certified financial planner. Um, really look at the entire situation, do the planning based on cash flow, and then a TPA design the plan. So it's a team approach. It is a team approach, and you're the head of New Focus Financial. People can find you at newfocusfinancial.com. Get the podcast there. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Showing my age, I've been listening to you two since my college days or my end of high school days. They still make good music, and I'd still see them live in concert. One of the few bands out there done big bucks to see. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. You ever seen you two live in concert? No, I haven't, but uh, like you, Rob, I was certainly listening to them in college. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, it's, and it was a little bit more rocky, uh, rock and roll feeling, but oh, we are aging. Uh, big, spe- uh, big speech tonight. Is that going to be a market mover? Do you think the State of the Union out of Trump? Uh, you know, it really shouldn't be, I don't believe. Okay. You know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, regrettably, anything that's going to require, you know, uh, you know, proposal, say, for an infrastructure spending bill that's going to require, you know, bipartisan support, probably pretty much DOA. So, um, so there's going to be a lot of typical bluster in the speech, probably some finger pointing. And in the end, I think that the market, just like it has all year, you know, will probably just steer itself around the politics and uh, and focus on what it uh, has taken a liking to this year, which is really uh, monetary policy and the idea that the Federal Reserve is on the sidelines for the foreseeable future. I start my day every morning at briefing.com, page one, your column in particular. And one of the things that surprised me is this week you started throwing out how high the market is up from the, the lows. And today you quoted the S&P 500. It's up 15.9% from its December 24 lows. It doesn't feel like we're rich this year. It doesn't. 
I still feel like that last year's fall in November, December is uh, kind of making me go, I don't know if I could go to Hawaii. I don't know if I could go on vacation. Um, why is my sentiment so negative right now, would you say? Well, I think because there's, there's enough um, fundamental information out there that does point to uh, you know, a slowing of the economy. And uh, and what you've got going on right now in the stock market, Rob, really is is kind of a, a pricing out of the recession that was priced in in the fourth quarter. You know, things got so negative, and the perspective was so dark in that fourth quarter that the price action kind of started to just feed on itself, and the narrative really took over that you know the economy was likely to be headed for a recession soon, and therefore you were going to see a, a sharp downturn in earnings growth, uh, really an earnings decline, and, and so. I think people took a step back and uh, and started taking some money off the table, but because they were doing it uh, in a number of very crowded names that uh, you know had some heavy market cap weights, um, you kind of saw that crowd momentum cut the other way, right? That was uh, we were riding high on that through the first nine months of 2018, and and really you know when crowd psychology took over, it really just cut hard the other way. And so what we've seen here early on, start since December 24th, is is really a market that's sort of kind of reorienting itself to the idea that, okay, you know, we're not likely to see a recession, but we are going to see slower growth. Uh, and we got overly negative in the fourth quarter, so we're going to reclaim some of that lost ground. And it's done so in a hurry. And um, by the same token, you've seen crowd psychology and momentum uh, carry things the other way, in a in a in rapid fire fashion, and, um, and I think that's where we are. But uh, but the reason it doesn't feel better, I think, is that I mean you do see uh, signs of a slowdown in the housing market, in the, in the auto market. Uh, obviously, Europe's having some issues. China clearly is slowing down, and so you still have this this. Uh, pervading sense that the U.S., while it might do relatively well versus other economies, it's it's going to be held back uh, in part by this slower growth elsewhere. Um, and so there is reason to question, you know, earnings prospects for 2019, which um, I would add have continued to come down. Uh, earnings growth estimates have continued to come down as the stock market has just continued to power up. It's interesting that you're talking about earnings expectations. Uh, Google Alphabet reported numbers yesterday. They're part of that famed member of FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google Alphabet. Um, what are you thinking about? Like the, the the big boys aren't, the big four aren't running. Like maybe one or two are, and then maybe one or two are struggling. And we're not getting much leadership from tech. Should we be? And what else should we be looking for for leadership? Well, you know, in, in those days, Rob, it might actually be somewhat of a healthy um, condition that, that they're not, you know, taking over like they had for so long. I think that maybe that was one of the messages that was learned in that fourth quarter route is that when you get into a very crowded trade, uh, you know, things can collapse in a hurry when everyone heads for the exit at the same time. So I think there's maybe a little bit better effort to, uh, you know, diversify um, maybe within the technology sector. And so while, you know, while those, you know, those, those fabled fang names, you know, um, may not be leading the charge like they once did, you know, I draw your attention to, you know, the semiconductor group, which has just been terrific. Um, you know, it's up 12.5% year to date. And, and that's with a lot of companies coming out, um, you know, issuing 
you know, disappointing first quarter guidance, <laughs> and but what you've got, uh, you know, the market clinging to is the idea that you're 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 in the midst of a cyclical downturn, and that by the second half of the year everything's going to be resolved, and and everything will be okay. That's that's what's reflected in that price action within the semiconductor group. But um, you know, so while while these uh, you know the apples and the Amazons and Facebooks and the alphabets maybe you know aren't doing as great as, as people have grown accustomed to seeing them doing. Um, you know, you've got six sectors within the SP 500 that are up double digits already this year. <laughs> so, and and every sector within the SP 500 is, is registering a year-to-date gain. So, um, so things aren't so bad despite their uh, you know their their underperformance, and uh, and that could ultimately be a good thing. Yeah, thanks for reminding me about the semiconductors because. I do feel that I'm being a little bit more pessimistic than I typically am. And I do feel it's, like I said, from that route at the end of last year. So that's good to know. Good to know. Um, anything else that you're working on right now that you think we should be uh, incited on? I don't know if that's the word, but you see where I'm going. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to rain on the parade necessarily, but, you know, uh, one of the messages that, you know, I've continue to uh, emphasize in briefing.com is that, you know, trying to make this sort of walk this line and, and justifying why the market, you know, could come back like it has, but also trying to justify why it, it probably shouldn't get so carried away with its its optimism right now. And and it really is, you know, the fact that you have earnings growth decelerating. Um, right now, the first quarter earnings growth estimate is negative. Um, and for the full year, roughly about 5% right now, according to FactSet, uh, but that is likely to be subject to further downward revision. So you have an S&P 500 that's trading close to about 16 times forward 12-month earnings uh, versus, you know, projected earnings growth of, you know, maybe maybe nothing to a low, low single-digit number. So I think we're, you know, running to the upper bounds of this fair valuation for the market, and, and coincidentally, we're also seeing the S&P 500 start to test its 200-day moving average, and so uh, probably wouldn't be surprised if you see things sort of slow down here a little bit with this rally and for the market to, you know, move into a consolidation period as it kind of waits for that that fundamental justification to take another leg up. Well, that doesn't sound great, but cold weather finally snapped in Chicago, right? That it did, which was a great thing. <laughs> I felt horrible. I didn't see the forecast. I knew you were going to get hit with that polar vortex thing. And I, I kind of like, yeah, it's kind of nice and warm in California. And then I was like, oh, it's 30 degrees below let in me, Chicago. That's not cool. Yeah, let me let me tell you, minus 50 below, it, it's actually pretty cold. <laughs> so um, I don't wish it on anyone. That's one area that I do like about the weather. Um, it messed up the economy. People didn't go to work. People stayed home. People, uh, you know, pipes froze and they have to get those fixed. So bad weather could sometimes equal financial transactions, which is interesting to note, right? That it is. Yep. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk soon. That's the one, the only briefing.com. I start my morning each and every day looking at Patrick O'Hare's stuff. Um, I got to be careful how that sounds, uh, but he does a pretty nice job of saying, okay, here's the, the fact sheet for you today. This is what we're looking at. This is what happened yesterday. Uh, we've had some time to digest things. We looked at the earnings report last night after close that uh, Google, I hate Alphabet the name, and uh, if you type in at briefing.com Google, ticker symbol G-O-O-G, 
you'll see that they wrote up some reports last night, and you'll see that they got uh, analyst quotes on the quarter. Canaccord Genuity said, we think continued strength in advertising and other revenues should drive consolidated revenue growth in high teens over the next three years, which coupled with moderated gross margin pressure sets the stage for solid profit growth. Looking ahead, we are modestly raising our advertising estimates, leaving uh, the numbers unchanged. $1,250 price target. It's currently at about 1130 So they pull all that data together for you. You'll notice that a lot of the overall, a lot of the, the numbers have come down. One analyst cut his target from 1400 to 1300 One analyst cuts it from... Uh, um, 1135 down to 1100 Now, again, should you go out and invest just because some analyst said something? No. But it is kind of nice for me to start seeing uh, trends. You know, analysts were expecting too much from Apple. They underdelivered. How did the stock recover? So higher expenses really hurt Google. And you know, the big fear on Google at this point in time is, Amazon is taking advertising, and Amazon can sell advertising and tell the people on the other end, we are at the point of sale. So do you want to advertise with Google, or do you want to advertise with us? We have a shopping solution that's one click away from when they see your product. That's pretty powerful. That's why Google goes higher over time. Maybe not forever, but over time, short term, I like the stock. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of the areas that I like to talk about on occasion is there's good advice and there's bad advice. And I would be very cautious working with financial planners or people that you don't necessarily know how the business works. There's Ameriprise financial offices all around the Bay Area. They've been growing quickly, to say the least. Um, It's a lot of independent broker-dealers. And they're, they're recruiting people. Last year, hiring was up big. And they're recruiting some more experienced advisors. Now, here's where I think it's worthy of start talking, you know, and being blunt. And this is a little difficult for me to do. I'd rather work with an experienced real estate broker than a brand new real estate broker. I'd rather work with an experienced financial person than someone who's brand new. Everyone has to start somewhere, but I don't want them. Because when I was 20 and I worked with people, I had to work with people that weren't experienced. And it was a really bad experience. Um, a lot of markups, a lot of uh, fat commissions, a lot of product that they didn't really know what they were talking about. They couldn't really explain how it worked. Like, don't you want financial security for your family? So I'm not a big fan of Ameriprise Financial Advisors. Or Stifle. Or Cetera. It's not my thing. It's, it's, to me, when they're hiring that many people, they're basically saying, let's get a lot of people in the building and have them work the phones. 
Hey, Zachary, come on in. We'll hire you. You look like a fine young man. Uh, you're 25. So here's what you want to do. You want to get your Rolodex. <laughs> He's like, what's a Rolodex? Get your iPhone. Go through the contacts list. And start calling all your friends and see if they can't won't open up a $1,000 mutual fund or a $2,000 IRA. And then what you're learning is sometimes you're putting the funds like the American funds, and that's 5.75% sales commission. Ameriprise loves it. They just hired a punk kid out of college who wants a job and doesn't know what to do, and mom and dad are pressuring them. Go sell a product. And they don't have to pay you a lot because it's all commission-driven. So I would be very, very cautious. Now, again, not everyone at Ameriprise is this way. That's why I think you should take time to get to know a financial person. I think that's one of the things I've done with this show is you've got to know me. And through the years, you know that if I say things like watch out for annuities, they could be high fee contact con- uh, uh, product. They could be contracts that are tough to get out of. They could be vehicles that are expensive to maintain. And that's what they all, I mean, all th- that, those three things are what I have problems with annuities with. Now, I'm not against all annuities. There are some low-cost or no-cost annuities out there. But you're not going to be sold them by your, your 25-year-old you know, buddy, buddy next door. Oh, and the worst part is when you see someone in their first suit ever trying to sell you product on financial product. And you're like, that's the first suit you've ever worn, right? <laughs> well, I had one when my 14 my dad died. So I would just be cautious. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with people that work there. It's just, it's a stepping stone to something bigger. And if they haven't moved on, maybe they're not very good. Or maybe they're pretty comfortable selling pretty average product. So, and to me, that's kind of a sad story that I just told because I think the industry turns some people off when they're younger. You know, when I was 20, I, and I had some bad experiences with a friend of mine who just got into the industry. I never wanted to, like, I, I was like, you told me it would go up, or you said the, or you, my expectation, like, I didn't, ex- when you're spending $5.75 to buy $100 of a mutual fund, no, go get an index fund that has almost no expenses. I don't, I think wealth accumulation can be easier if you're not caught up in emotion, like greed and fear. When I was 20, I, I was like, I didn't know anything about it, so... Maybe I'll just, you know, hire someone that does or work with someone that does. He has to know more than me. Trust me, two or three books, and you're well on your way to financial information. Um, let me know. I can send you out a copy of, you know, some of the, the material that I've put together. If you get something like Barron's or the Wall Street Journal and you read it on occasion, the headlines... You know, I, I know that's not the easiest thing to do because you probably want to play Fortnite or watch the Super Bowl or talk about how bad the Super Bowl was or wasn't. But that's an issue. So I'd be careful with who you work with. And just understand that if they look like they're green and entry level, you probably want to get away from them. Same thing with real estate agents for me. Um, I've got one of the most disgusting videos that I've ever seen. And I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. It's Someone sent me a realtor... And there's all around the office, it's Christmas time, and they're talking about Amazon is coming to town. And they're singing a song, Am, you better not wait, you better buy now. Amazon is coming. And the, the production is pretty good. It's 
pretty good. Like, there's at least 40, 50 people dressed as elves and stuff in the, in the video. But it's so offensive. Um, hey, I'm going to get, you know, a 3% royalty, uh, 3% off you. That transaction where you're going to go buy a house for a million dollars, I'm going to pull in 30000 bucks. Easy. You got to be really, really cautious with this kind of stuff. Do you see why they're, they're positive and, and happy? I know many realtors who don't own a home. They'll never tell you that they don't own a home. But it's not that easy sometimes to buy a million-dollar house and to turn it into a cute song parody. And take a look at what's happening with Long Island right now. Amazon's coming to Long Island and Crystal City, Virginia. Long Island, obviously, New York. Um, some of the bureaucrats up there have said, you know, we may not let them. We may not let them build. So you may have just chased performance. You may have paid a 10-20% markup, and it's wrong. Don't trust realtors. If you have one that you really, really like and you've known for 20 or 30 years and maybe who grew up in that neighborhood, awesome. That's what I have. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.